Romans 1.18 is where we are. Uh, we started our series in Romans last week, and uh, so we're going to continue in that. And this is actually, I'll be honest, some verses that a lot of pastors skip over um, because they're difficult. And so I, I'll be honest that a lot of this is going to be difficult for all of us both to hear and both for us to read that God's Word changes us. Uh, I want to just kind of give a quick thing of how Paul's thought process is. Uh, it's very logical, and so if you're looking at your Bible, verse 16, he says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel. Well, why, Paul? Well, he answers, Because it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. Well, well Paul, how? How does this happen? Well, he answers it in verse 17, for it is the righteousness of God that is revealed in faith, that by faith we have obtained Christ's righteousness. Well, the next question would be, well, why do we need God's righteousness? Well, he answers it in verse 18, for God's wrath is revealed from heaven against all godlessness and unrighteousness of people, for by unrighteousness suppress the truth. Well, how did they do this, Paul? Well, because they have known about God, and yet they have suppressed the truth about him. And that's Paul's logic, and that's kind of where we're going. I wanted to bridge the gap between where we were last week to where we are today. And so I'm going to read the full of Romans 1, 18 through 32. You can join me at home on your, on your copy of God's Word and downstairs in our fellowship hall and here in the room. Let's read God's Word. For God's wrath is revealed from heaven against all, un, all godlessness and unrighteousness of people who are by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. Since what can be known about God is evident among them because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, that is, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen since the creation of the world, being understood through what he has made. As a result, people are without excuse. For though they knew God, they did not glorify Him as God or show gratitude. Instead, their thinking became worthless, and their senseless hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man, birds, four-footed animals, and reptiles. Therefore, God delivered them over in their desires of their hearts to sexual impurity, so that their bodies were degraded among themselves. They exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshiped and served what has been created instead of the Creator, who is praised forever. Amen. For this reason, God delivered them over to their disgraceful passions. Their women exchanged natural sexual relations for unnatural ones. The men in the same way also left natural relations with women and were inflamed in their lusts for one another. Men committed shameless acts with men and received in their own persons the appropriate penalty of their error. And because they did not think it worthwhile to acknowledge God, God delivered them over to a corrupt mind so that they do what is not right. They are filled with all unrighteousness, evil, greed, and wickedness. They are full of envy, murder, quarrels, deceit, and malice. They are gossips. Slanderers, God-haters, arrogant, proud, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, senseless, untrustworthy, unloving, and unmerciful. Although they know God's just sentence, that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, 
but even applaud others who practice them. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we pray this morning as we hear and see your word. I pray one, Lord, for a clarity of thought and a faithfulness to your word. As we come and read hard passages that would convict our hearts, I pray that it would not be in humanness or flesh, but it would be led by the Spirit of God, truthful to your word. And God, I would pray for each one of us here that your word would be found in fertile soil of our hearts. That just as we sang, we want you and your word to bring faith and the gospel to our hearts. And I pray that this fertile soil that you have given us in our hearts, the word would change our minds and change our worship. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, when we bought our house, uh, I was excited because there was a projector for TV that came with it. And so one of the things that we like to do is we like to watch movies on it. And Franklin plays a lot of video games on these big screen that he watches all this stuff on. But what we found is on that projector, there's a couple of things that help it. Uh, there, the screen is better when it's darker. Now, you can dim the lights by half, and you see it okay. You see it a little bit better. But really, when the lights are all the way off is when you see it the most clear. And today, I want us to be reminded, why do we talk about sinfulness in our sin? It is because in the reminder of the darkness of our hearts, it's when the gospel shines the most beautiful and most brightest. When we are reminded or understand the depth of our depravity and our sinful selves, it's when we're overwhelmed and astonished that God would love us enough to kill his son. This is where Paul takes us. He speaks and writes to the first century Roman church, but also the 21st century American, European, Chinese, all churches. That we are reminded of the universal sinfulness of humanity and how depraved our story really is. You see, when we understand rightfully the context of the world and ourselves, we can have a better explanation of what's going on in the world around us. When we see things like families torn apart, when we see ravages of novel viruses, when we see the nation's rage, when we see racism put, pit humanity against humanity, we as Christians who've read our Bible and have read Romans 1 are not surprised because we understand that we're living in a Romans 1 world. Many times people have said, hey, uh, well, can you believe this is happening? Can you understand? I said, well, no, I, I Maybe I'm a little surprised, but I'm not shocked because I, we are in a Romans 1 world. And once we understand what Paul begins with, God's wrath, God's wrath against injustice, God's wrath against sin, God's wrath against unholiness, God's wrath against all things against him, it is then and only then that we trust in Christ alone who can save and we are reminded of the blessing and gift that comes from being united in Christ by faith alone. 
So let's understand this together. Let's understand how we individually deserve God's wrath by looking at four truths about the wrath of God. First, if you're writing notes or following along, number one, wrath is deserved by the suppressing of truth about God. Wrath is deserved by the suppressing the truth about God. Now, we see that Paul talks about the wrath of God, that this wrath is God's anger, that his anger is against unholiness. But what is it, we might ask, that God has set his wrath, his punishment against? Well, Paul answers it right in verse 18 for us. For God's wrath is revealed from heaven against all godlessness and unrighteousness of people. We understand this to believe that first Paul is saying that God disregards or is against those who disregard him and his right as creator of the world. This destroys our vertical relationship to God because we are godlessness wandering without our chief creator. But secondly, we also see that it says, and unrighteousness. This is a teaching against all of the moral actions that we might have, that, that we are destroying our horizontal relationships because we, we first deny God, then it, it continues on in how we treat one another. It's what Jesus says, love God first and love others second. We have rejected both of these ideas. And so therefore, God's wrath comes against this idea. Maybe this might help us a little understand it a little better. We have suppressed this truth. Now, if you were writing, and maybe you're writing um, music, uh, maybe you're a scholar and you write scholarly works. Maybe you are an author and write small books. What would happen if you decided, while I'm writing, I'm going to take the work product of someone else? Uh, that you would say, I'm going to take what someone else has created, what else somebody else has written, and I'm going to claim it as my own. Well, we know that what you're doing is illegal, and you could be sued to the ground for it if you really, it really wanted to be pushed and shoved to it. But we know that it's wrong because what have you done? You have taken authority, which is where we get part of the word author. We, you have taken authority over that product and claimed it to be yours to use it however you wanted to. And so when you do that, you understand that you're doing something wrong because you're not saying, uh, if I cited it or I referred to it or I quoted that person, then I would admit that I'm in debt to someone else. I acknowledge that I'm a dependent person and I know that someone else's thoughts or works has contributed to mine. I'm not taking authority. It's still their authority over their product. But when we take authority, when we, when we do so illegally or we do with what's called what? Plagiarism, we're saying we've taken authority over it. Do you kind of understand where I'm going a little bit now with when we claim that God who is creator, that God who has given authority over all things because it is his work. He has created the world and upholds all things in it. That when he, we say, God, let me live life 
how I want to, we are taking the authority away from him. And though you may believe God in a general way, do you truly live your life in a way that he just generally exists? Or do you give him mastery over your life because he is creator? Many spout philosophies or humanistic scientific theories, but the reality is God has created us, and therefore anything we do that denies his authority on us, his wrath is then set against us. And the truth is, deep down, no matter what we say we believe, we know that he exists. That's what Paul's thought is here, is that even though they say they do not know, God is evident among them in verse 19 because he has shown it to them for his invisible attributes. That is, his eternal power has been known since the creation of the world. You see, even though people, and maybe you struggling at home, are struggling with the idea of God or Christianity, you might think, well, uh, I can still let him do his thing. I can do that. But the reality is, is if you deny his power and authority of your life, you have done cosmic plagiarism. You've said what God has created, I'm going to take for myself. But when we look at the world, we have to admit he exists. From the oceans of the stars to the birth of a child, or as one scientist says, the study of one molecule will bring me to worship. Psalm 19 says, verse 1 through 4, The heavens declare the glory of God, and the expanse proclaims the work of His hands. Day after day they pour out speech, night after night they communicate knowledge. There is no speech, there are no words, their voice is not heard, their message has gone out to the whole earth, and their words to the end of the world. In the heavens, he has pitched the tent of the sun. Therefore, as Paul says, none of us are without excuse. None of us can deny that God exists. But every day, in many ways, we deny his existence by taking authority over our own lives, by living the way that we want to live. Some even go as far as to try to say and explain him away. But the reality is this, and what Christianity says is this, is that God created you. And even though that you've lived your whole life in your own authority, legislating your own morality, setting your own goals, God still loves you. And he has sent your, his son to die in this very situation in history to reclaim you through the person of Jesus Christ. And the good news for us is that if we understand and know that God is there, we should search for him. And he is rightfully found in Jesus Christ. Could I ask you this today? How are you functioning as an atheist in your life? In what ways or what areas of your life have you determined is for you to control or how God has no say-so over? What acts or what things or what parts of your life or heart are you claiming that God doesn't get to speak into? Well, I encourage you today, repent as you're storing wrath against yourself. Secondly, 
we see wrath is displayed by worshiping idols. Paul's thought goes further as he considers to think, well, if we have rejected godlessness and unrighteousness, well, then we are changing what we worship. In verse 21, it says, for though they knew God, they knew that he existed, they did not glorify him as God or show gratitude. Instead, their thinking became worthless and their senseless hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of God, of, immortal, of the immortal God, for images resembling mortal man, birds, four-footed animals, and reptiles. And since man, then, has suppressed the truth about God, uh, that they have pushed down the, the idea of God, that it has affected us, Paul says. Uh, theologians call it the noetic effect of sin. It comes from a word that means mental or mind. What happens is, is when we deny God exists, then our mind changes away from God, and it is darkened, it says. That we, our minds and our thinking and everything that we look against the world changes. Man sets his heart steadfastly against God. So what happens is, is we refuse even more so to acknowledge God in his existence and in his worship. So what happens? He said, we, for, we fail to thank God. We for, forget or change our worship. We change what we worship. Romans uh, one says this, that, that we start to take the images that are, should be glorifying an immortal God, but change it to animals and man. So the question I'd have as I'm reading this is, do, I, do we go around worshiping golden calves? Do we have little idols that sit on our desk and in our places? I don't think that's what most of us do. Jeremiah 2, 5 says, this is what the Lord says. We find fault and our fathers find in me that, that they went so far from me, followed worthless idols and became worthless themselves. So what we do in our minds is when we deny God, our minds begin to not worship the creator, but creation. And so people, we get tricked into thinking that something God has made will truly fulfill us. That God in creation made that was very good. There's a lot of very good things that God has given us to enjoy, but instead, instead of finding our hope, our joy, our faith in the one who made it, we put our hope and faith and worship in the things that God has made. And we do this in many different ways. There are some who turn their jobs in, uh, into worship. That the notoriety or the moving up of their job will, will encourage them, make them feel good about themselves, make them feel important. And, and they will chase that job until they even get pushed to, to do something where they were willing to sin to keep that job. Sports is a great thing, but many people disproportionately use sports as a way for formation for their children and, and, and for uh, chasing these sports dreams. But, but the reality is they, they turn their formation, of, instead of spiritual formation, into sports formation. And at the end of the day, they haven't been formed by God. Some put their attention or worship into 
online attention for clever posts by starting to show and getting more likes and views and attention. And so they're willing to share shocking videos, even falsehoods and slanders, in, other, in, in order to get more attention for themselves. And the problem with chasing the worship of all these things is not in of these things. Sports aren't bad. Social media isn't bad. Work isn't bad. But the problem is, is when we try to fill fulfillment in these things, they will fail. Jobs get cut. Someone's always better at sports than I am. Social media mob will turn and attack anybody. So let me ask you this morning, what is the idol that you're chasing? What is it right now that you're trusting in for fulfillment, for joy, for peace, for completeness? Because if we deny God, then our hearts will begin to worship something else. And so therefore, what are you worshiping that is not God? Thirdly, wrath is demonstrated by God giving us what we want. Verse 24 through 32, we see this spiraling effect of what happens as we have rejected God, we've turned away from worshiping God, and we have, we have fully then turned from God. What were to happen if I was holding up a crystal vase above my head? If I'm holding it up here and showing it, and what if I were to just let go? What would happen? It would fall and break. It would shatter to thousands of pieces. And if it was Sarah's, I'd be in trouble. But we know that if I let go, the forces that were on it will take control over it. What is that force? Gravity. Well, in God's wrath, he is exactly what he has done. He has given up those who have rejected him and have given it over to the wicked pullings of their heart. When the godless say, we don't want you, and the wicked say, we will not obey you, then God, in his wrath, then gives them their choice. If this is what you want, life without me, this is what you will get. And Paul identifies these powers as, as sinful desires, shameful lusts, and a deprived mind that he just gives those over to our fleshliness. Well, Charles Spurgeon noted that when we and the truth quarrel, we had better end our fighting soon, for we will have the worst of it if we don't yield. You see, this downward spiral is exactly what is happening to us in our world. It's also what happens to us when we fall into allowing or going with our fleshly desires and, our, uh, and the things that are pulling us. This is a cautionary tale of the wrath of God for our society and our world, but it is a cautionary warning sign to all of us that reject God's uh, authority and direction over our lives. Because in it, we see that it is being played out that God will give us over to those desires and lusts. Now, let me say lovingly that these verses, especially verse 26 through 28, focus on homosexuality and same-sex attraction. 
And, you know, many people will go to those things and raise the flag to say, aha, look at this. But let me just warn us all that when God gives us over to our wrath, it is actually God giving us to all of our corruption, all of our things. Look at, we forget to reread verse 26 through 28, but should we not go to verse 29 and 30 through 31? And they were filled with all unrighteousness, evil, greed, wickedness. They're full of envy, murder, quarrels, deceit, and malice. They're gossips and slanderers, God-haters, arrogant, proud, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, senseless, untrustworthy, unloving, and unmerciful. I don't know about you, but that describes me at many times in my life. It's helping me to see that as I fall away and look at God's, turn from God's direction on my life, that this is me as well. But these, these verses talk and begin with sexual impurities up at the, st- at the, at the front. And as a reminder to us that sexual impurities, the word there is actually a word that means corruption or corruption of God's standard. And so, yes, same-sex attraction is a corruption of God's standard, but there's many corruptions of God's standard. What is God's standard? That God has gifted us as humanity with sex to be done in a committed marriage to one another. That is a gift that is full of joy and reward. But every step away from that is a corruption of what God has designed. Whether it's infidelity, whether it's pornography. I've read the other day that during COVID-19 with everyone at home, that the pornography websites jumped 20% in viewing. This is not just a them problem or this group's problem. This is our world's problem. And let us think about what verse 32 says, that although they know the sentence, not only do they do them, but they applaud others who practice them. Let's just think of that one area of pornography. So we know that the regular use of pornography destroys minds. We know that the regular use of pornography destroys marriages. We know that the use of pornography funds sex trafficking where girls are stolen from their families and forced to do unspeakable things for others. But you know, the world says boys can be boys. Girls can be girls. Try a little bit of it. It doesn't matter. We have agreed with something that is irreprehensible. And I, I, I pray for for others, brothers and sisters in Christ who struggle through pornography and issues that that we have allowed our flesh to, to give over to our desires. But in the same way, we say that to all corruption of the sinful life, God hates it. 
And we must understand that even as we think and read through these verses that speak about and speak against the homosexuality, the, the reality of the same-sex desire is not an indication that someone is turned more away from God than the other, but it is a sign of humanity that the whole world has done so. And so my prayer is a, as a church and as a pastor that we understand that there is a biblical balance to, to speaking towards this, that we understand that, that we should stand firmly of the conviction uh, from the Bible that there is the sinfulness of homosexual behavior, but on the other hand, that we need to be patient and compassionate and come alongside those who are struggling, you, your friends, your family, to help you seek good in God's design. And so I, I encourage anyone who is struggling in, in, in a corrupted sexuality, I encourage you to acknowledge this presence of disorder, disorderly sexuality in your life and understand that it is of your harm and not your good. That you can turn to, by faith to Christ and that his righteousness, that it is him that will help you and only a sinner who can sex, sex, successfully uh, battle his sins is a justified sinner. So begin to reorder your life around the centrality of the glory of God. That our treasure is him and not these false identities that we've made ourselves. We will not find happiness in our gender. We will not find happiness in our sexuality. We will not have, find happiness in these things. We will only find it in the glory of God. And we must then resolve to be chaste if necessary, celibate if necessary, but confident to do what God has called us to do, to obey, so that if God heal, heals, even if it's in the age to come, we will be patient with purity because that's what God has called us to be. We want every person, single, married, everyone in between, to chase the purity that God has called us to. But let me just say this. Listen, if we do not acknowledge the wrath of God in our lives and in our world, there will be no reversal. We can mourn and we can be saddened and we can rage and we can do all sorts of things and say, why is the world this way? Why are we struggling with this? Why are we doing that? And I see so many people in the church say, we need revival. We need revival. And I believe that. I believe we need the revival of the power of God through the Son, Jesus Christ. But where does revival begin? Repentance is admitting in our sin is against God and agreeing with him. Because if we can't come to agreement with that, there's no room for God to work. And I see people arguing online or different places saying, we need revival, we need revival, but they are the least likely of us to repent. Repent of our pridefulness and our gossiping and our slander. Brothers and sisters, my prayer is that there is true repentance for all of our sin. 
no matter where we find ourselves in these verses or in other areas, we need to begin to repent. There's no sin too little and there's no sin too big. All sin is against a holy God. And we need to ask him for forgiveness. So let me ask, does repentance characterize your life? What do you need to repent of today? Because when we begin there, we are agreeing with God and who he is and what he hates. But number four, wrath is escaped by the gospel of Jesus Christ. There is good news, and this is what makes the good news the good news. If there is no bad news, there can't be any good news. And so the bad news is we understand that we're under the wrath of God. But the good news is, is what did Paul say in verse 17? That through faith we receive the righteousness of God. Now, I love reading Paul because Paul's just writing and he's doing some real deep theological treaties about something and then all of a sudden he's just worshiping right in the middle of it we just he's just like his it's like squirrel you know but his squirrel is the glory of God and he just starts worshiping God and writing of how good he is and so here we see the same thing I'm going to go back to verse 25 they exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshiped and served what has created Instead of the Creator, who is praised forever, Amen. Look at that. He just—he's like he just jumps right into praising God. So how do we escape wrath? Well, I think this idea helps us. How do we turn from sin? Well, we reorder how we got there to begin with by worshiping the Creator rightly. By putting him back in the place, instead of suppressing the truth, instead of chasing idols, instead of falling deeper into sin, we reorder our lives around the glory of God and worship him and turn to his son, Jesus Christ, for forgiveness. 1 Thessalonians 1.9 says, For they themselves report what kind of reception we had from you, how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God. You see, there's hope for all of us. There's hope that we can turn from all of the wrath, everything that we've chased, all the fleshly desires, all the sinful thoughts. The good news is, is that when we reorder our lives back to God, then we have a place where we can start to be encouraged in our faith and turn to Christ, which reverses the wrath that we're under. So let's, for good news, reverse engineer the truths what Paul has given us. In verse 19 through 20, God reveals the glory of God's eternal power and his divine nature in his creation. Secondly, in verse 18, he reveals his wrath against the sin of those who suppress the knowledge of his being the creator. Then in verse 17, we're working backwards. He reveals that righteousness, the way for sinners to come back to himself, is through the gospel of faith in Jesus Christ which results in number 4, verse 16, that all who believe upon him can be saved. Praise God. Praise God that no matter where we're struggling or how we're hurting or how far we've gone, the power of the gospel is powerful to save. Amen? So when you see that there is indeed a God who is great and glorious, and when you see that he has a moral law that we have broken, that we deserve death, we also know this. God has sent his son, 
into the world to save sinners. He lived a perfect life. He died so that everyone who trusts in him will be forgiven. Jesus died to take the wrath that we deserve and instead give us his righteousness. So my prayer is that we, that you, that God will uncover the knowledge that is already inside of you, that is already in your heart, that he would reveal it to you, that the perfect thing that you're looking for is the gospel of Jesus Christ. And maybe today you need to call out and ask Christ to forgive you. Understand that you're never too far, never gone too far from God to call out to be forgiven. But believer, is there an area in your life today that you need to repent, that you need to agree with God that there are sin in your lives? Well, I encourage you to be people of repentance. Believer, has your mind been corrupted? Well, be reminded that whose authority is over the world and see how you're seeing things. Are you looking at the world through a biblical worldview? Well, do that and agree with God and his word and not what the world is telling and selling. Believer, don't allow your mind to be corrupted. We're thankful to know that it is the power of Jesus that saves us from the wrath of God. But it is a reminder to us of our true nature and our true need for the Savior. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we pray this morning that as we have come to your word, that we know that in you and through you is hope and faith and forgiveness. And though we would all agree that there are areas of our lives that we deserve wrath from our anger this morning before worship, from our unwillingness to cede control to you in our lives, that we would be reminded that even through that, there is hope through your Son, Jesus Christ. May we be faithful. May we acknowledge you. May we put you in the right place in our life. And may we be able to speak into a world that is far from you and give them hope. In Jesus' name, amen.